Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. What a joy it is to preach this morning in our continuing series in the book of Genesis entitled Beginnings. Beginnings. And this morning's message is entitled Paradise. Paradise. And the text is Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you think about paradise? Now, I've given you a slide to look at. This might be what you think about when you think about paradise. Maybe those of us that grew up in the Caribbean and, you know, sort of around water, this is how we envision paradise. Paradise for you may be a a flowing, beautiful meadow with lots of grain and, and cattle and chickens and whatever you have there, or it might be a beautiful mountain, or I don't know, but it's something that's going to be what? what do you, when you think about paradise, what do you think about? Harmony, peace, safety, rest, fruitfulness, longing fulfilled, no frustration, good health, well-being. You might even be thinking of forever and ever and ever, right? They lived happily ever after, the the ever after. Paradise is a life-giving place of beauty, is it not? And we all have paradise in our hearts. Everybody wants this. Listen, there is a multi-billion dollar industry based on that. A lot of it is right here in South Florida in those big ships that leave every Saturday and come back the next Saturday. Or in that place just up the state in Orlando. Or in the resorts in Jamaica, Cancun, the Cayman Islands, wherever. You just, I mean, multi-billion dollars. I want paradise. And I know it's not my nine to five that I'm going to hit tomorrow. It's definitely not the Palmetto. That's the other place. (laughs) But it's in your heart, however you define it, to want that place of of fulfillment, of, of safety, of peace, of of, of living with others in harmony, serving others. serving There's something there, isn't there? So where did that come from? Where did that desire come from that's in your heart? I believe it comes from this text right here. I believe it comes from the very beginning of human history. It comes from the day God made man. And he put paradise in his heart. He put him in paradise, and he put paradise in his heart. Now, we're going to get to how paradise was lost in later sermons. But today, let's go down to the beginning. Why do you long for this? Why do you want to get it just right? Why do you want to paint that car perfectly to where it shines perfectly? And every line is perfect. There's something in everybody to make that perfect thing, that perfect case that you're going to argue, that perfect planning you're going to do. Why is that in us? Sometimes the world beats it out of us or people beat it out, but it's in there. Everybody wants to do that. Where did it come from? Well, it comes from our text in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. Are you there? Let's find out where this desire for paradise came from. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. 
And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land was good. Bedulam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Where do you see this word paradise in the text? Well, you see it in the five mentions of the word garden. You see it there in verse 8, garden. Verse 9, garden. Verse 10, garden. Verse 15, garden. Verse 16, garden. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Genesis, they translated that word garden as paradias. Well, the word we get, paradise. So you see this word paradise is the garden. Paradisios, paradise, garden. The Garden of Eden is paradise. And God created paradise for us. He created us for paradise. He created paradise for us. Now, you may be familiar with something that's called an instant replay or a highlight. It could be in some uh, sports activity that you're watching. It could be figure skating or throwing darts or ultimate frisbee. I always say those first because people say, don't keep using football analogies. So I just gratuitously throw that in there. Did I get everybody kind of off of my scent here? Okay. But when you're watching a football game, you see an instant replay. You have a highlight show. Anybody recognize this? Yes, that's ESPN. And you tune in to SportsCenter to see what? Kalen? Highlights, thank you. Of the Gators losing to the Seminoles. And when you see highlights, you get instant replays of what? Of the plays that were most important in that game. Genesis 2 is an instant replay highlight of the most important play. Maybe second most important play that helps us understand humanity. Because what's happening in Genesis 2 is God is going back and showing a highlight of Genesis 1.27. Remember Genesis 1.27? It says, in the beginning God created man, male and female. He created him in his image. That's Genesis 1.27. That's a pretty short highlight. Touchdown. Long pass. 
But then Genesis 2, the analyst gets up there, they put it on the reel, and they run it in slow motion, and they see where the guy threw a head fake, and the guy stepped this way, and he threw this way, and the linebacker got blocked over here. You got all these different angles showing the offensive lineman, and showing the linebacker, and showing the coach calling the play, and showing the person up in the stand going, hey, I always love that one. Right when the big touchdown goes, I love looking in the stands and seeing that one person like, that's Genesis 2. We're going to get an instant replay of the creation of man from multiple angles. We're even going to have something called mic'd up. I love that one. NFL Films has that. Not only do they show you the highlight of the play, but they have a mic in the quarterback's helmet. So you can hear the quarterback when he's about ready to call the play, say to the tackle, hey, watch number 42. He really killed me last time, all right? I didn't appreciate that. Right, 82. And I love hearing that because that's like the inside story of how that play happened. So that's what this text is. It's giving us the inside story of what happened at creation. And it's very important for us. And here is the main point of that inside story. God, on the screen, God created man to work and guard paradise. God created man to work and guard paradise. That's what we learn from this instant replay of God creating man Let's take a look at it. Point one, God created man. God created man. We see here in verse four a very interesting phrase. Look at verse four with me. These are the generations of. That phrase is going to form a chapter headline for the next 11 chapters of Genesis. It's actually going to give a structure to Genesis. So basically, these are the generations of, can be translated, this is the history of, and it's going to tell us the history of, and this is telling us the history of man made for the garden, the history of man forfeiting the garden, and the history of man outside the garden. And it's going to end at the end of chapter 4. So this is the generations of how God created man. And he created man in his image. And in this instant replay, we see some things we didn't see in the first original showing of it. First of all, we see God revealing himself a little differently here. Do you see in verse 4 where it says, the Lord God, the Lord God? Well, that's actually the combination of Elohim, God, the Lord, Yahweh. So it's now introduced into our understanding this picture of God, Elohim, which speaks of God's sovereignty and his transcendence, and he's the sovereign creator way out there, to Yahweh, which is translated here, Lord, which speaks of God's eminence, God is with us. This speaks of the covenant-initiating God. In fact, this name for God is only used with God's people, Israel, because it speaks of covenant and relationship. The language here in this text is a little bit different than the scientific, more literal language of chapter 1. This slow motion instant replay here is a little bit more artistic. It's almost like we have an analyst whispering in our ear, telling us exactly what people were thinking, what they were doing, how that move was fashioned. We see it when it speaks of the forming of God in verse 7. Look at it with me. Verse 7, when the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. My goodness, this is an amazing instant replay. It's very poetic. It's kind of artistic. That word formed is the same word used when a potter is working the clay. 
And so this idea is God now isn't just creating man in his image, male and female. That's all we get from 127. But in chapter 2, verse 7, we have him maybe figuratively kneeling down and grabbing that dust and forming it out of that land. And he makes man, Hebrew word Adam, out of the land, Adama. So man is made from the land. It's very artistic. And he forms and he fashions him very carefully. And he formed and fashioned you very carefully, like a potter would, the clay. And he made you just as you are. But then we see that he breathed his own breath of life into the nostrils of man, thus verifying man as the crown of God's creation. To no other part of creation did he do that. He didn't do that to any animals. It was only to man that he breathed into his nostrils the very breath of life, and man came alive. Now, you don't get that from 127. You get that here. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine looking at that? God forms a man. What's he going to look like? He's like the great sculptor, the great potter. Look, there's his creation, the crown of creation, but there's no life. It's inanimate. It's just sitting there. It's beautiful, but it's just sitting there. And God goes, and he comes alive. Man, how amazing. Can you imagine being an angel watching all that? That is truly amazing. That is truly a highlight. And let me just say this to you. That is a picture dear Christian, of what God does for us in Christ. Because apart from Christ, before we knew Christ, we were inanimate when it came to the spiritual. We were dead when it came to God. We were just there, no life in us, nothing at all. And then God, by his Holy Spirit, breathed into the nostrils of our souls and gave us life so that we are now alive to God and we understand that we need Jesus and we repent and we believe because God's life came into us. Does that describe you? And if you're not a Christian, then I pray you would listen carefully to the gospel as you hear it right in this sermon and that God's spirit would come and give you life and he would animate your inanimate soul so that you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And after bringing man alive, in verse 7, in verse 8, he puts man in the garden to work it, and to guard it. Point two, God created man to work and guard paradise. Listen, we may not be guardians of the galaxy, but we are guardians of the garden. Let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at what does that mean? What does that mean? Look at verse eight with me. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Before we explore these two words, work and keep, I want to talk first of all about this beautiful gift of the garden that God fashioned for the man. We see here that man did nothing To plant the garden. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. That word Eden means delight. So it's a garden of delight. Man is still in. He's not even created yet. God prepares this beautiful garden for him. He prepares it for us. We're not even alive yet. And after preparing this beautiful garden. God then creates man. And he puts man in the garden. That's what we learn from verse 8 and verse 15. It's, it's so beautiful. God creates paradise for the creature that he so 
loves. Remember that. You want to know where this desire for paradise comes from? It comes from God. It has been marred by sin, our sin. But in the heart of every man and woman, there's this desire to be at this perfect place where there's harmony and peace and joy and yes, work and love and fulfillment and pleasure. Lots of it. God put that in our heart. That's how God created man. We learned that from this instant replay. There's nothing wrong with that. Where that goes awry is the ways we try to fulfill it. Hence the multi-billion dollar industry. Because, you know, it's always true, isn't it? When you go find paradise for that week or two, invariably it rains that entire week in Orlando. Or you go to find paradise and invariably hurricane so-and-so makes your cruise ship deviate and the island you go to, well, let's put it this way, it's not a resort. Or, 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 the, or the, 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 the paradise you're trying to create, that beautiful home and that beautiful garden and you get it just right. And another hurricane comes and says, I'm going to rearrange all of this for you. We get back from trying to find paradise. And though we may have touched it for a moment, there may be a couple of points. Don't you normally come back just a little bit kind of disappointed? It was good. It kind of teased me. But it wasn't quite what is sustaining. God designed it that way. There's only one place. And that's in Christ who will come and recreate the earth and the new heavens and a new earth. And you want to talk about paradise. You've seen nothing yet. That's the hope in our heart. This is what God created man for. This garden, listen, this garden of Eden is the mountain of the Lord. Don't just see it as some little, you know, weak little imitation of something. This is the mountain of God's presence. This is a temple garden. You see all the gold and the onyx and the bedulum. Those are all pointing toward the temple. In fact, similar type uh, precious stones were in the temple. This is a garden temple to be guarded by, by God and by God's people, his priests, his representatives. This is a beautiful place. There's this river that flows out of this garden temple that gives life to the whole world. Most rivers are made by smaller tributaries flowing in to form the river, not this one. This is a river that then breaks up into little tributaries. It goes out to the four corners of the world. It was a real place with a real God and real people. The Bible begins with the garden and the Bible will end with the garden. Look on the screen. Revelation 21.10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. This is the Garden of Eden. And showed me the holy city. Yes, it is a garden temple. Coming down out of heaven from God. Revelation 22.1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is the river that's in the garden described here. Genesis 2. Bright as crystal. Oh, can you imagine? flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Oh yes, the throne of God, life. Verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river is what? What's there? The tree of life. The very thing we were called to guard, that we forfeited because of our sin, we were expelled out of the garden, we could never go back. We now have access to in Christ at the end. And look at this tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Praise God. 
This is what we long for. Church, this is what's in our heart. Dear unbeliever, this is why you're here. This is why you do what you do to try to find some relief from the burdens and the horrors and the difficulties and the sadness of this world. You're looking for paradise. Just give me a week. Give me a couple of days. Give me a mojito on the beach. Even if it's like, you know, Crandon Park. I don't know. You get a break. God put that in your heart. The way we try to fulfill it Often we get corrupted, but God put it there. But it can only be found in the royal park of God, in paradise, in Christ Jesus. This garden was a fertile area, church. This garden was filled with trees, as we read in verses 9 to 14. Verse 18 and verse 15 are kind of the main point, And they're interrupted with verses 9 to 14 describing the garden. So really 8 and 15 go together. He stops at 8 and says, oh, by the way, this is what the garden looked like. And then he goes, now, remember that garden? Yeah, the Lord God put man in the garden. And he says, and he put him there to work it and keep it. So when we look at 9 to 14, we see this garden has lots of trees. But there are two trees that are very important. There are two trees that this instant replay focuses in on. There are two trees we say, oh, when God created man, he also created this garden with these two trees. I didn't know that from 127. Oh, yeah. The first tree is the tree of life. The tree of life. Look at verse 9, please. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. So these two trees are right in the center of the highlight. They're right in the center of the story. They're right in the center of the history of mankind. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree of life represents eternal life, represents all life that transcends the natural. This is the very core of life. Life itself from the throne room of God, it celebrates life. It's righteousness. It's that fulfilled longing we all desire. It's that tongue that brings healing. God placed man in the garden to live forever in fellowship with him and other men and women. But he placed him there with a condition. He says, you can eat of all these trees. By the way, this garden was huge. Don't think of like a little garden in your backyard. This was a large, large land. Think of a royal park. Think of whatever park you might be thinking of since you're from Florida. And then double it by 15 and multiply by 18 gazillion and how beautiful it is. No long lines. No fast passes. No $45 turkey legs. (laughs) This is a park that truly satisfies No complaining children in line in August. Always makes me laugh. It's not funny, but it makes me laugh. How much did you spend to get here? Oh, it was only $12,000. Are you having fun? And you see their kids. I'm hot. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I digress, and I shouldn't have. This is a royal park. This is the park. This is the place that truly satisfies. But here's what God says to man. There is one tree here that is not your tree. It is my tree. What does the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represent? Many theologians have discussed this at length. I believe the closest representation I can give you is this tree represents... And the fruit represents the ability to make moral pronouncements on your own. The ability to create an autonomous ethical system. The ability to create a moral system because I'm God. Are you getting it? 
the ability to have an opinion. You know, in sports talk, it's to have a take. Do you have a take? Yes, and my take is right, because I'm God. Eat that fruit, and you start thinking that. And God is saying to man, there's only one who can eat. There's only one to whom that tree belongs. It's me. It's not yours. You have everything else. You have moral freedom. You have the freedom to eat from that tree and not eat from that tree. By the way, Adam and Eve are the last humans to have that freedom. Because after they ate, they lost that freedom. Today, we are bound by sin. We cannot do ultimate good because of what they did. And that's why we die. But they had it. But you cannot eat that fruit because that fruit's only for me. That is my fruit. I'm God, you're not. And I don't want to preach the sermon from two weeks from now, so I'll stop there. So, so, so God is saying, work this land, guard, that word keep, that word keep in verse 15 can also be translated guard. It's often used when describing what priests do in the Old Testament to guard intruders from getting into the tabernacle. It's the Hebrew word abad. And the word work means work. And so what, what you see here is that God is sanctifying work and he's saying that your work is to guard the gospel, it's to till the land, it's to, it's to work hard before me, before others, to live in perfect harmony with one another. What does that look like in your life? How does this picture of the creation of man impact how you live tomorrow? Well, here's some possible applications. In your vocation, how can you prepare for work tomorrow thinking that God made me in his image to work this land and that I'm actually excited about going into work. I'm excited about thinking how I can work this land. I know that it's fallen. I know that there are difficulties here. But how can I anticipate the needs of my boss? How can I make other people successful? How can I work really, really hard tomorrow to plan ahead? How can I lay all my clothes out so that I get to work on time? So that I, when I'm on uh, whatever highway I'm on, I don't drive like a demon, but rather I drive like the saint that God is making me because I left 15 minutes early rather than 15 minutes late. Everybody else is leaving 15 minutes late, and surprise, there's a bunch of people on the highway. (laughs) See what I'm saying? How does it affect my schooling? If you're studying right now, how can I look at what I'm studying, not simply to get a good grade to verify you know, my identity or whatever, but how can I pour myself into this, whatever God has called me to do, so that I might be the best whatever I am studying to be to serve others and to bring glory to God. The Bible even talks about that. As we do good works, it draws attention to God. I don't do the good works to earn God's favor. I do them to, to glorify God. This is in our hearts. Listen, paradise is not some place of a perpetual vacation. That is not the picture of paradise here. It's the picture of work, but work that is done well and very fulfilling and very wonderful. How does this affect me at home? How do I think of others when I have my breakfast and there it is in its empty containers and think, you know, Because I got up early, because I wanted to serve my family members, and because I got up early and I want to serve others in traffic and actually allow someone to get into traffic rather than, you know, try to knock them off the road because I'm late, because I'm a little early, I'm going to clean up my dirty bowls and knives and, and, and the plates that I use so that the next person that comes into this kitchen finds a beautifully clean kitchen and not all my junk everywhere. You see how that affects us? This is God made us for this. 
or in church, we, we find, how can I encourage one another? How can I relate to one another? Because God has so encouraged me in Christ. Or in our community, we can ask, what are the needs of my community? How can I work to help meet those needs? This is what the instant replay of the creation of man speaks to us. It speaks to us. It speaks to us. This is what it means to guard the tree of life. This is what it means to to live as God allowed us to live and called us to live. This is what Adam and Eve lost in the garden when they ate of the wrong tree. But, oh, church, here's the gospel application. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to write that. Because however important the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are, there is one tree that is far more important, and that tree stands right in the center, and that tree is the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus succeeded at the very place that Adam failed, where Jesus succeeded on that tree to overcome the sin and the shame, to defeat Satan when Adam failed to. Part part of our call to guard the gospel, ultimately, and Adam and Eve's call to guard the gospel, ultimately was to drive Satan out of the garden. And they failed. And Satan ended up driving them out of the garden. But then Jesus, the true guardian of the galaxy, the true savior of the world, the one that all the movies picture when they give you a problem, and are we going to make it? And then there's a hero. Listen, Jesus is the hero. Jesus did what Adam and Eve failed to do on the tree. He said yes to God. He obeyed God perfectly in the garden. And when he went on that tree, the cross, he succeeded and gives me hope that redeems my commute tomorrow morning, that enables me to do a good job when I'm checking out someone's boat and engine. And I do it whether I make a lot of money or not, but I do it because God has saved me. And you know, there's something that comes alive in me when I do that. And there's something that dies in me when I cheat somebody on the sly and get away with it. There's something that comes alive in me when I say yes to you and no to me. It hurts a little at first. Wow, I was made for this. I was made. I was made to care for others. I I was made to serve God and others. This is the beauty of what we see in this instant replay. Here in this instant replay, we hear the first words of God to man. They're in verse 16. Look at them with me. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, the mic gets turned on, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here is the first divine commandment, excuse me, covenant between God and man in Scripture. Very important. What is a, what is a covenant? It's when, it's when an agreement is made promising to do something in exchange for the other person doing something. This is the first one. The Westminster Divines would have called this the covenant of works. Some call it the covenant of creation. This is where God said to man, you, I give you the promise of life. You can eat of every tree of the garden. That's what it says here. But you may not eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And along with that promise of life comes the freedom to say yes or no. But Adam and Eve, as we know and will preach in a couple of weeks, didn't meet those requirements. And they, and they died because they ate of the tree. 
that, that was the curse. The, the blessing was life, being working and guarding the gospel. The curse was death. Sadly, the curse is en- ended up what happened. And God had to throw them out of the garden. But Christ is the one who won that blessing for us. And you might be asking me, Al, where do you see this covenant of works? How, how do you understand this scripture? How do, how do you interpret this? Are you sure that's what's happening here? I don't see all that here. No, but you see it in the New Testament. You see it in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and especially in Romans chapter 5, verse 17 on the screen. For if, because of one man's trespass, that one man being Adam, if you read the context, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, Adam failed, therefore we all die because God's word is true. You eat of it, you will die. They died spiritually first. They died in their relationships to one another. They died in their ability to live in harmony as husband and wife. They died eventually physically, and we all experience the same. But Jesus, in his obedience, brings us life. And so this covenant of works, this covenant of creation is seen right here. Very important. This explains why Jesus had to come. Dear friend, this explains the bad news. This is what we cannot do. But in two weeks, we're going to look in detail at another covenant, what's called the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace is the covenant that spans the entire New Testament, that it spans the entire time until Jesus returns. This new covenant, this covenant of grace is birthed in Genesis 3.15. When right after the curse that God puts on the serpent and Adam and Eve, he says, but I will bring forth the seed of the woman and that seed will defeat the seed of the serpent. And in that one, in that one will be the fulfillment of paradise. Paradise was lost there. Paradise will be restored in this covenant of grace in Christ. It's no longer going to be based on what you do, whether you eat of the tree or not. It's going to be based on what Christ does. This, this covenant of grace is like an acorn. You know, the acorn grows into a massive oak tree. So think of the covenant of grace. One covenant traced all the way through the rest of the Bible. This is the story of salvation. This is the gospel. Stay with me. This is important. And that covenant is planted in the ground as that acorn in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will defeat the seed of the serpent. And then in Noah, in, in God's promise to Noah, the covenant of grace expressed in the covenant with Noah after the flood, that little seed sprouts just a little bit. A little acorn. And God promises Noah, listen, I'm still going to provide a savior. Therefore, I'm going to stabilize the whole environment, nature, so that man can prosper because a seed will come forth. And he gives Noah some of the same promises and commands that he gave Adam. Noah's like a second Adam, if you think about it. And then that little sprouting turns into a sapling. You know what a sapling is? A skinny little tree. You can't really tell what it's going to be. It turns into a sapling with Abraham. Because now God says, now this is the people through whom my my seed will come. This is the people through whom the Savior will come. Listen, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a great number of people. And you, someone from your people, is going to bless the whole world. 
And that little sapling then starts becoming a bigger tree. You start recognizing, oh, that's an oak tree when we see God's promise, God's covenant with Moses. Same covenant of grace, just tracing as, it, as it's developing through Scripture. And God says, now I'm going to bless Israel, and I'm going to give Israel the law, and I'm going to give Israel the sacrifices because they're pointing to the seed, the one who's going to fulfill what Adam broke. And then that covenant, that, that great covenant of grace, that oak tree starts really getting very, very large. 400 years later, when God makes his promises to David, the covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, and he says, one of your sons is going to reign and rule on the throne, not only of Israel, but the whole world forever and ever and ever. And then that covenant of grace explodes in fulfillment when Jesus comes and they say, look, there's the son of David. And Jesus says, listen, I am greater than David because David even says, I'm going to have a son who's going to be my Lord. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant of grace and he brings paradise to us. That's why that scripture that we just read in Romans 5 is so important. Jesus did in the covenant of grace what Adam was not able to do in the covenant of works. What's the point here, Al? Here's the point. Here's the appeal. God created us to work and guard the garden, paradise, the gospel, the truth about God, the very truth of how God relates to man. He's put paradise into our hearts, a paradise secured for us by Christ, not by my works, but by his works, not by the covenant of works, but by the covenant of grace. And we have that. And Jesus stepped into the highlight, right into the middle of that highlight. And he fulfilled the call of faith, filled obedience for us. And in Christ, God puts us back in the garden of delight, in paradise. He reconciles us with himself in Christ and restores us to his image. And then he sends us out to work and guard paradise, the gospel, the garden. And he calls us to go out. Listen, God graciously gives us a meaningful role in his work on earth. God graciously gives us a meaningful role in his work on earth. We were out of the game. We were dead. We were inanimate objects. We were just sitting there dead spiritually to God. And God touches us. If you can remember Michelangelo's picture in the Sistine Chapel, he was trying to capture this moment when the finger of God is reaching out and and there's man, he's dead, and God touches him. And Jesus touches us. and And he restores us. And he builds us. And then he sends us out to proclaim reconciliation in Christ. How do you do that in so many ways, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's working hard, whether it's giving of your time or money, whether it's being kind to the poor, and just pouring your life out on them. Whether it's being someone who, who fulfills their government job rightly and well so that you care for people and keep them safe. Whatever it is, you bring, you bring restoration. You, you, you bring everything in unity under Christ because this is God's goal. This is God's pattern. This is what we're called to do. Mine just may be bringing order to my living room when I get home. Training my children. Fixing all the locks in all the schools in Miami-Dade County public school system. Representing someone faithfully and honestly in court. Producing a good product or making sure it gets sold well. Educating your children. But I'm doing it because I have the promise of paradise in my heart. God has given me that ability. What does it look like in your life? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like in our life as a church? 
That, that's my prayer. That's our prayer as we apply this instant replay of creation. Let us pray. Worship team, you can stay right where you're at. Lord God, I thank you for your grace this morning. I thank you that you have given us what we do not deserve. I thank you that not only was there a tree of life in the garden, but there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not only were those two trees front and center, and not only did those trees have so much to say about our history as, as, as mankind, but Lord, there's that third tree. That third tree that we see in the promise of Christ, the seed of the woman. That third tree that we see in the promise to, to Noah, that you will preserve the earth. That third tree that we see in the, in the promise to Abraham that one would come from the Jewish people who would bless not only the Jewish nation but the whole world. That third tree that we see in the, the promises and the covenant to Moses and the law, the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial systems that point to a Savior. That third tree that we see prefigured in the great king, David, the prophet, David. Oh, Jesus, you are that one. Prophet, priest, and king. You fulfilled it all. You were obedient in the garden. You, you passed the test. You, you did what we could not do, and then you, on that tree, on that third tree, on that cross, you died for our sins. You gave us your righteousness. And, oh, Lord, I thank you that that promise, that longing for paradise in all of our souls is fulfilled ultimately in you, Lord Jesus, the resurrected Savior. I pray that you would give that to my friends today. Lord, let them go out in courage this morning and just take that first step of what it means to work and guard paradise, the garden, by your grace. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.